Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. Um, there's this really cool opportunity that we have right now for, for our church. Actually, you guys can take a seat. Go ahead and take a seat. Really cool opportunity for our church right now. Um, we have, I, w- I wouldn't even say a guest speaker. We have uh, someone from our house, someone from this home, from this space that's going to uh, share with us uh, what is on his heart. And, you know, I, I love moments like this because um, I, I think it's important to publicly affirm people, especially with what they do that isn't seen. And, you know, um, this, this individual we kind of met through, through some students. Life Pacific is like a university not too far from this, this, this place. And he's actually a professor there. He oversees departments there. And he's a theologian. He's a theologian. So when he's coming here, I'm like, man, I don't know what he's thinking about my message. I got to make sure I'm doing it right. He writes books, all this amazing stuff. But one thing I love about uh, Stephen, who's going to come speak, is uh, he plays basketball phenomenal. He's got good IQ and good EQ, <laughs> but, but even he's got a servant's heart, and that's something that's ingrained within our culture, right? We talk about values, we talk about culture, and there's something to be said about humility and just a servant's heart. It is anti-our culture to serve. That's what Jesus did, right? When he was with his, his disciples, he got on his knees and he started washing their feet. It was unknown of to have a rabbi do that. And something about Stephen that caught my attention is he just wanted to come and serve. And he's like, hey, he does worship music. He's like, we got to do something about the drums. And he actually came and built this whole thing with Jesse. And I kind of helped just a little bit, not much. But he was the brains of coming and and, and setting this up. And so I want to publicly thank you, Stephen, for doing that, for your heart. Man, you just jumped into our community and you just wanted to serve. So could we give it up for Professor Dr. Stephen as he comes He's going to share a word for us. So grateful for you. Give it up for Marquis, the, the man right here. <laughs> here you go, Stephen. All right. Hello, everybody. How are you guys doing? Good. All right. I got to make some corrections. Uh, he said I play basketball phenomenal. That's not true. I play basketball sort of. That's that's more true. You know what I mean? He's uh like we we uh he he's been putting like a uh, millennial teams together. So like he'll put like me and him and Chase, and we'll play all the young guys who are super fast and their knees work. You know what I mean? <laughs> so uh so they're like running around us and stuff like that. But all right. So uh, Pastor Sammy asked me in a week uh, uh, to speak a few weeks ago, and uh, and I was very honored for that. Um, uh, we've been coming to this church for a couple months now. Uh, my wife Connie's over there, and uh, I have a little. Uh, five-year-old hooligan in there, uh, Mila, my, my daughter. And uh, we've just felt very, very welcomed in, of this community. And one thing I got to say that this church does so well, and you can see the leadership of Pastor Sammy and Kelly, they're so good at fostering community. And that's something that I needed so bad. You know, I was praying for it for a long time. We were going to a church in L.A., and it was, the church is awesome. There's nothing wrong with it. It was just a, it was our drive. We couldn't really get involved and couldn't really do stuff. So, and then when COVID happened, so it's just like I was hungry. I was hungry for community. So, like, um, I think I just we just jumped into serving and stuff like that. So, thank you for fostering that, and thank you guys for having me and, and welcoming us into the community. Okay, so lately, Sammy has been talking about holiness. That's to be set aside, to be set apart. Something that tells uh, the world that you follow Jesus. Like, what are the things that you do? How, how do you live a Christian life? What does it mean to live a Christian life in this world? He's been talking about goodness. 
had a few sermons of that, right? And that was awesome because there should be something about Christians. Like when you are publicly known as a Christian, you should be known as good. And that's, that's awesome. You should be known as kind. You know what I mean? Mean Christians make no sense at all. They literally make no sense. And we see them all over the place, especially on social media. What the heck? You know what I mean? But what is these things? So it, it, when he asked me to, to speak, it made me think of the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount is the longest discourse that Jesus ever made and that he ever recorded. And so think about the, 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 the thing here. So this is not like just a few, verse, a few verses, a few uh, statements that he said. It's actually two chapters in Matthew, one chapter in Luke, the same versions of it. It's the longest discourse, okay? So, and this is Jesus speaking. So it's not like Paul, who's awesome, or Peter, who's awesome. This is God incarnate speaking to us. So when God comes to earth, this is what he says to us, Right? And so the Sermon on the Mount is so significant. And we, don't, we may not even know it, but Christians have based their, their morals on the Sermon on the Mount. We base the way we live on what Jesus tells us in the sermon. There's so many famous verses. If you just read it all the way through, you're like, oh, I heard a sermon about that. I heard a sermon about this. I heard a sermon about that. Every verse could become a sermon. And so uh, and I'm not going to talk about uh, just a particular verse. I want to talk about the structure of the beginning of it because I think it tells us something that's really cool. It tells us how to live like a Christian in this world. It tells us how to have our moral standard, how to be holy and set apart. And Jesus tells it to us clearly. I think it's one of the most empowering passages ever. And, and the thing is, we, we look at it and we get kind of scared. Jesus holds us to this really, really high standard in it. You know what I mean? Don't lust. Oh, gosh, that's hard. Don't be angry. Oh, my gosh, that's hard. He holds these high standards, but he shows us how to. And it's such an empowering thing, so I want to get to that. So, I'm going to turn uh, to Matthew 5, okay? Uh, and we're going to just read the beginning of it, uh, the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Now, the word Beatitude means blessing, and so, oh, sweet, it's right up there. And uh, I'll just start reading it to you. It says this, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, and this is where he starts saying stuff that you're like, wait, what is he saying? He's saying the opposite of what everybody thinks is true. Like, like everything that you think is, is, is natural, he's saying the opposite, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We could say blessed are those who are exhausted in worship anyways, right? He... he, uh, he I did that song for a uh, songwriting class that I teach. Uh, <laughs> so, so I was like, hey, that's a good song, man. You did a good job. Um, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Remember we were talking about those angry Christians? Jesus tells us, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise and glorify your name. We just thank you for this day. Thank you for all my brothers and sisters in Christ here. God, I just pray that you just... Take this time and let these words, let your words sink into our hearts. Let us know what you are saying, what you are showing us, how we can be transformed by the words that you say, by, by the guiding of your spirit. God, we need you. 
Prepare us to hear what you want to, to, to say. Speak through me, let only your words come out. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Okay, so we've been in California for four years. And before that, we were mainly raised in uh, Florida. I was actually born in Germany. I'm a German-Puerto Rican. There you go. Yep, that's right. German-Puerto Rican. Um, military. But I uh, came over here when I was six. My dad was a missionary, too. And uh, my wife was born in the Bronx. She's a Dominicana from the Bronx. We watched In the Heights yesterday. And she was like, oh, this is my movie. <laughs> it was so good. Uh, so uh, we've been in, but then we were both in Florida and growing up there. And I was there for like, I don't know, 25 years or something like that. We both were. And uh, we met when uh, we were in college age. She was, I think, a freshman. I think I just graduated, something like that. And, uh, and we've been here for four, but, but we recently moved here. And right before we moved here, I was, when we were young, married and stuff, had Mila, I was in vocational ministry doing youth and worship ministry and working on a PhD at the same time. And then right after that, I felt called to do prof- be a professor. And so I just kind of did a ton of adjunct work and I taught art, high school art. Okay, the things you know about me, I do art, music, and theology. Those are like the three things that I do. Um, and so, um, so I was teaching that and it was all good. We just felt like a, a lot of doors were closing for us in Florida, and then we just felt like God called us. And that's a whole testimony in itself because there was a whole, man, we, it, some crazy stuff went down to get over here. We sold the house. We sold everything to get over here. And then we came over here, and then within a, a year, actually, the school that I was going to teach at, it was a private Christian high school, closed down. So it was months when I didn't get paid, and we just felt like we were deserted, and everything, everything was bad. I, I saw, like, I, you know, it's like gender roles are kind of weird, but like I just felt like a failure of a man, you know, being able to bring my wife and my daughter, who was two, over here, and then not have a job, you know, after we sold everything. Uh, but then within that same period of not making money, I got hired at Life Pacific University as a, as a program chair. So I made the jump from an adjunct to a chair. And so, um, so that was cool. It's a testimony in itself, you know, and, and God has his plan. And so I've been doing that for the last three years. So uh, that's just a little background, not really important for what I'm talking about. Really what I want to talk about is the differences between Florida and California. Okay? So we were from these tropical swamp lands of Florida. I don't know, have you guys ever been to Florida? Anybody? If you've ever been there then, and it's hot, like anybody been there in like August and you're still alive, I, I welcome you back. If you ever go there, the humidity is so ridiculous. You walk outside and you're instantly wet, just sweaty. You're like, what did, I just walked into a, like a, a pool, an invisible pool. It's so gross. You'll have a heat stroke. Like you go to Disney, it's hot here. It's, it gets really hot here. But it's like this, I don't know, this like nice heat that's like it's hot. But you go into shade, it's 20 degrees less. You can't escape it anywhere in Florida, okay? No matter where you are, it's 150 degrees. You know what I'm saying? Like it's so stinking hot, okay? And uh, do you know where we lived in Lakeland? It was right between Orlando and uh, Tampa. And do you guys remember a story four or five years back when there was this uh, 14-foot gator that just kind of like moseyed out of a swamp and then was like chilling on the streets and stuff like that? You guys remember? It was a national story. That's where we live, five, five minutes from that, okay? That happened right by our house. That's the same street of my church. So that's Florida, okay? And there's also, there's differences in food. Uh, so when we were in Florida, I didn't even know that I didn't have good Mexican food. I didn't know that until I moved over here. You know what I mean? Like, the best place that we had was this place called Tapatios, and when we ate there all the time, and we were like, oh, that's so good. We came over here, Alberto's is better than Tapatios. <laughs> it's, not, it's not even a lie. We also, like, the Asian food here is just miles ahead. Korean barbecue is just miles ahead from the East Coast. But let's give credit where credit's due. The East Coast knows how to do Caribbean food. 
Y'all don't really know about Puerto Rican food. Y'all don't really know. LA's got this place called uh, Mofongo's, pretty good. Okay, there's a, there's a truck, Triple D's, pretty good. But y'all don't really know. You know what I'm saying? And this is going to be controversial, so I don't want to say it too much, but y'all don't really know about barbecue either. <laughs> y'all don't know. Y'all don't know. Y'all call, y'all call grills barbecues, okay? That's weird. I don't know if y'all knew that, but that's actually weird. People on the West Coast, they call a grill a barbecue. Barbecue's a type of food. That's a grill. You grill chicken and stuff. But barbecuing, like, that's smoking and doing, like, dry rubs and, like, all right, anyways. I digress. Okay, so another thing that's different is palm trees. Y'all are like, what is, is this dude preaching or what is, what is he doing? <laughs> so California has these really cool, iconic-looking palm trees, right? They're called fan palms, California fan palms. I looked this up. This is what it says. They're characterized by its thick trunk and tuft spiny fans. The California fan palm grows to 60 feet tall. Because of its size, it is more appropriate as a street or a park tree rather than placed in an urban garden. I always think about like, the streets lined with these huge palms, you know? I think about like uh, Dr. Dre and Tupac, and you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, that's what I think about, you know, um, when I think about California. And then the Florida palms are tropical. And uh, most of Florida palms thrive in these USDA zones 9 through 11 where the temperatures don't ever get below 25. So they're like, they don't, they're tropical environments. Uh, they are the Florida thatch palm, Keys, Keys thatch palm, silver palm, buccaneer palm, parotis palm, royal palm, and saw palmetto. Those are different types. We have a bunch of different types too. The ones that we have like the most of, if you've ever seen them, they look like giant... Uh, Pineapples, you know what I'm talking about? So like they're, they're like all these branches that come out like all the way from the top to the bottom, you know what I mean? And they're not actually that tall. They're like maybe the height of this, this right here. And that's like the, you see them everywhere. Like they grow everywhere. They grow in your yard. They grow everywhere in Florida. And, uh, and there's, a, there's a difference here. And, and, and the reason why is because of climate. I thought California, when I was young, I, I thought it was a tropical climate too because you kind of see it in the movies and stuff, but it's not. It's an arid climate, right? There's mountains and there's deserts and stuff, you know? And so, uh, and so it's very, very different here, and the humidity is beautiful here. Like, it's just so good. Like, the weather is just the best possible here, uh, especially spoken from someone coming from the sweltering lands of Florida, you know what I mean? So uh, I want to say all that just to talk about palm trees, because when palm trees are babies, they actually look like grass. Did you know that? They grow and they look like grass, all right? And so... Uh, the reason why is because they're called, and I had to look this up too, monocots. Monocots are characterized by having one seed leaf and fibrous stems. They lack a vascular cambium, whatever that is. The roots are also fibrous. The veins and the leaves are parallel, and the flowers parts are in ones and threes. Examples are grasses, sedges, grains, bamboos, lilies, orchids, and palms. So they have a fibrous stem that's thicker and longer than grass, but it looks like grass. And they're palm trees. They're going to be palm trees. And the reason why I know this is because that was my job when I was a kid. I had to cut the grass, those are my chores, and I had to weed the yard, okay? So pick up a bunch of weeds and stuff like that. Like this, honestly, like in tropical environments where grass grows like crazy, that's like a huge thing. And so it takes forever. And I always had to pluck the palm trees uh, instead of the grass, all right? And so whenever you pluck a palm tree when they're babies, it's pretty easy. It's actually easier than plucking grass because grass like, will cut off. Like, like it's like, really flimsy, so like, you can't really get it from the root very easy. But palm trees, it's just literally just a pluck, and then you're good. That palm tree is dead. It's gone. You got the whole root. You got the whole thing. Just boom. If you wait a little bit too long, then the palm tree grows, and then you have to like, you can still get it out, though. You just have to like, really just kind of hoist. You might need a shovel. But if you wait too long, 
that thing's going to be a tree. And you're not going to get it out anymore. There's no physical way you, an individual, can get it out without some kind of intervention. You need like a bobcat or something to come in and just, uh, you know, bulldoze that over. Right? Need some help. Well, I want to take that image of the baby palm as we think about the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? And plucking it out. So, the Beatitudes, uh, which we just read, um, the verse, we don't need to put them back up, but we just read it. Uh, you know, they start, and they're blessings. Blessed are, right? And sometimes those blessings can be viewed as virtues. So we talk about Christians, you know, being merciful, and that's a virtue, right? Uh, like th- those kind of things being virtues. The Beatitudes say we are blessed because we experience God's reign in our midst, and we'll experience it more. So each starts with joy and blessedness, but then it goes into this reality, then it says like a reversal, and then it goes into the reality that the kingdom of God is going to bring. Blessed are those who mourn, right? They will be shown the kingdom of God or something something like that. Let's just paraphrase it. And so these should not, oh, they will be comforted. That's right. These should not be viewed, however, as high ideals. And that's where we can read the Sermon on the Mount and be super scared, think Jesus is holding us to his crazy high standard, and saying, like, we're going to never match up. What, is, what does he want? Like, he wants everybody to fail so that way you, we need him to die on the cross for us so that we in order, order to be saved? That's not what's going on. That's not what's going on. He didn't just make it so that way we would fail. That's not why he's saying this. Those high standards are actually a method and a way to get us out of sin, to get us out of a life of cycle and sin. And I'll show you. It's transformative what he's saying. Okay. People put too much focus on the virtues and not enough of what Jesus is actually emphasizing. We should be emphasizing God's presence, and this is big, God's action, is his acts of deliverance through the Sermon on the Mount, and God giving us a share of the deliverance. He's actually giving us a job to do as he delivers us. That is called participative grace. I don't think I said that right. Participative, yeah, that's probably right. Participative grace. What Jesus is talking about means restoring relationship with God and others. That's really what everything is about. That's what the incarnation is about. That's That's why Jesus came to us, so we can restore our relationship with God and with each other. And when we are talking to each other, when we're talking to God, there is this aspect that in a relationship, it's not just us taking, taking, taking. There's participation, right? Jesus is the Savior. We're saved. But we have to be receptive. We have to be proactive. We have to do something not to earn the salvation. It's freely given. But to be in that relationship where it's coming back and forth, right? And so this is what it is. Grace is participative and spirit-led. God freely died for us, but we have to accept him, right? We have to live for him. We participate in this grace that God has given us, right? And it forms us to the image of Christ. So the next part uh, of the sermon, Jesus is very practical. He says, first, he says, we're the salt and the light of the world. But all these verses can be just a straight-up sermon. And you probably have heard it. And I mean, they're so loaded and, and strong and beautiful. He says that from verses 17 to 20. And so, uh, you know, when we're salt and light, salt is supposed to make food tasty. Light, you know, in a dark place illuminates so that way you're attracted to it. Like, we could talk about this all day long. And it's supposed, supposed to be different. We're supposed to be attractive in the way we live our lives. People are supposed to be known, we're supposed to be known by our love. The Bible says that literally, just straight up says that. That we should be known by our love, right? But we should be known by the way we act. You know, a proud moment of mine is, um, uh, so when I was in college, I worked at Olive Garden. That was, that was how I got along. Yeah, I know somebody else was happy about that for some reason. <laughs> I don't know. 
Okay, so um, that's actually where, I, um, where I, I, I wooed my wife. We met in the music scene, but it was when I was in Olive Garden, I saw her, and I had to go there, you know what I mean? Hit her up on MySpace later on. <laughs> and then uh, that was the end of the story. That was it. That was it. Scout, MySpace is kind of like Facebook. <laughs> and Facebook is kind of like Instagram. So, okay. So, the young folks, Gen Z, they don't know our troubles, man. We had to pick our top eight. You know what I'm saying? All that stuff. Y'all remember that? So, uh, so I was at Olive Garden, and, um, and so my real name is Esteban. That's my real name, Spanish for Steven. It's my birth name. Esteban Felix Jaeger, the German too, you know what I mean? Um, and so uh, when I worked at Olive Garden, I, I go by Steven everywhere, but like, I was like, I'm going to go by Esteban because I want my name to sound more like, you know, exotic or something, you know what I'm saying? It's not Italian, but people don't know that, you know what I'm saying? So, um, so I went by, I had long hair too in a, in a, in a ponytail. Uh, they thought, like, I was, I was in a Christian metal band, by the way. So, like, like it's a long story. Yeah. Y'all, see, y'all see tattoos and stuff. Come on. I have a past. It was a good past, though. It was good. So, um, I was working there and, uh, and, and doing my thing, serving tables and whatnot. And then we were in the back. And if you, if you, you, when you get food, there's always this line that you have to get food from. And then there's, like, this back-of-house manager, like the, the chef manager guy. And there's, like, a front-of-house manager that ter- takes care of hospitality and whatnot. So we're in the back. We're getting food from the, the, there's a, the back manager dude. And, um, and then there was all these servers here. And I would just talk to people. I would be goofy, mess around and stuff like that. But, like, I just kind of, like, live my life. I, don't, I didn't, like, express that I was a Christian all over the place. Like, I wasn't, like, I never do that. I never, like, like hey, I love Jesus. Anybody want to talk to me? Like, that's, that's not usually going to be you know, very successful, right? Um, and so, but I do my thing, and people would always talk to me about stuff, and, and it, was, it was cool, because you kind of get known by your personality, by who, how, how you live in this world, right? Well, one proud moment, I was in the back, and uh, there was this other dude, I can't remember his name, I'm just going to say Billy. Billy seems like a type of guy that would do this, you know what I'm saying, like a Billy. And so, um, and so Billy was back here, he was also a server, and the food was taking forever, and so he's like, hey, when's the food coming up? And um, he's like, it's going to be another five minutes. And then he just blurted out, F word, F. And then the manager in the back was like, hey, I don't want to hear language like that. And then he was like, it wasn't me. It was Esteban. <laughs> and you know what my manager said? No, it wasn't. He doesn't talk like that. I was like, come on, Billy. I'm pretty sure I reacted just like that too. But look, I was known by the way I act. That's cool. Hey, I don't, have a, I don't have a perfect record in that. You know what I mean? But that was a proud moment. And I think that's, that's the idea of like being holy, being salt and light. You don't have to be the person just wearing, you know, uh, you know Jesus shirts or whatever. I do have a fish in the back of my truck. But like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you don't have to do all that stuff. You don't have to, to, to show people or tell them. You, 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 you demonstrate it by your life. You're known by your love. That's what Jesus tells us, right? But so the next part is huge. This is the part that I really want to hit on. And so Jesus, after this, does what scholars call transformative initiatives from verses 21 through 48. They're going like this. They have, to, they have said, you have heard it say, but I say to you, right? You have heard it say, the big one is eye for an eye, right? So like the reason why, by the way, eye for an eye was, was a law in the Old Testament is because people would be like, hey, you killed one of my sheep, so I'm going to kill your whole family, like, literally, that, that's the kind of tribal warring things that they had. And so, 
And so the law was given as a step towards grace. It was actually, no, 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 eye for an eye. If he takes your sheep, you give, you get him of his sheep. That's it. Your justice, your retribution must be fair and just, right? That's what eye for an eye for was for. Jesus takes it to a whole other level because people would abuse that, right? You see the abuse of that, right? You see it in our own country. Hey, we got attacked. We got to attack back, eye for an eye. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you have heard it say eye for an eye. But I say to you, if I strike scout in the face, scout must turn the other cheek. Let's pick Scout because I know him. <laughs> That's hard, right? Has anybody been punched in the face? How, how easy was it for you to turn the other cheek? Unless you got punched like really hard. You just turned around. It's not easy, right? So that's what Jesus is saying. And this is where we're like, man, that's hard to live by. That's a hard rule to live by, right? And he does that for all this stuff. You have heard it say, don't commit adultery. I say to you, don't lust. Whoa, that's hard. Not committing adultery? I can do that. Not lusting? That's hard. You have heard it say, don't murder. I say, don't have anger in your heart for your brother. Whoa, that's hard. I can resist murdering. <laughs> right? But not having anger in my heart for my brother. I mean, do you know Jesse? You know what I'm saying? He talks so much junk on the court. Right? So that's, but the thing is this, these are not, this is what I want to say, these are not just high ideals, right? They're not impossible demands. They're commands, they break us out of our rut and transform us. This is how it works. So remember the palm tree thing. This is how it works. The sinful action that we do, it keeps us in this vicious cycle. It keeps us in it, and it keeps us continually committing the vicious cycle. And then it spirals, and it goes up and up and up and gets worse and worse and worse. Have you guys ever felt in a season in your life when you were dead to your sin at some point? Like, like, like your sin killed you, not like, not like you overcame it. Like, like your sin was in this circle, and it was just like you couldn't do anything. You couldn't get out of that. Has anybody ever been like that? I, I sure have, right? It was this cycle and just kept you in it, in rotation. Well, that's really what's talking about. It's a vicious cycle. Can I get, oh, there we go. Vicious cycle. Look, this is how a vicious cycle works. You guys have heard it. A depends on B. B depends on C. And then C depends on A. You just get stuck in that. Right? So here's some examples of vicious cycles. I smoke when I'm stressed. If I don't smoke in a while, I get cravings. Cravings make me stressed. I smoke when I'm stressed. Right? I work too much. I buy things that make life easier. These things cost more than I can afford. I have to work more to pay them off. I work too much. I am depressed. I eat ice cream to feel better. Ice cream makes me overweight. Being overweight makes me depressed. I am depressed. You see where I'm going with this? Like, like it's, it's things that keep you in an endless loop, an endless cycle, right? And you know what happens with these things? This is what Jesus is telling us. This is why he says it's not just about murdering. It's not just about adultery. What happens is when you're in this, it's not just a circle that's like in a loop. It's actually a spiral. And it goes higher and higher and higher. And if your anger doesn't go unchecked, you might spiral all the way to murder. If your lust doesn't get unchecked, you might spiral all the way to adultery. 
That's what he's saying. And so what do you do? How does this apply? And this is the vicious cycle of, of anger, for example. You are angry at someone. If you're angry, you start to hate. If you hate someone, they hate you. If they hate you, they make you angry, so you are angry at someone. You're in a vicious cycle because of your anger and hatred. And you will stay in that cycle. Or at worst, it will spiral up. It will kill everything inside of you. It will spiral up. Worst case scenario, it becomes murder. We can't act like it doesn't happen. We live in a society where murders happen every single day. You know what happens with those people? This thing never got checked. It possessed them. This hatred, this anger. Okay? But how can we break this cycle? Well, if you have anger towards somebody, if you have hatred towards somebody, you break the cycle by reconciling. The Bible even tells us we have the ministry of reconciliation. Our ministry is to make things right with each other. Okay? This is where Jesus says, you heard don't murder. I say, if you're angry, you murder in your heart. So go reconcile it. Let's think about that palm tree image again. What we're supposed to do is we're supposed to uproot it when it's still little. When it is anger. Anger is the tiny palm that looks like grass. Uproot it now while it's easy to uproot. Don't wait until you have to yank it out or it gets so big that you can't get it out anymore. The full-grown palm, that could be our sense of what, like being drawn all the way to murder or something. Adultery is the end result of lust. You're looking at the wrong places. You look at someone sexually in the wrong way. Your desire for lust rises. Your desire to look in the wrong places because of that. So you're looking in the wrong places. The cycle can be broken. It can go up and up and up and up and up, and it can go to adultery all the way, right? Let's assume if you're married, there's all sorts of sexual sins, right? But look, what's the source here? Remove the cause of temptation. This is very important. Jesus doesn't say to not be sexual. He made us as beings that are sexual beings. We're human beings. Lust is not it's sexuality. Lust is misguided sexuality. That's what it is. And so what leads to misguided sexuality? Temptation. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, it says, lead me not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Don't put yourself in situations that's going to mess you up. That's what Jesus is telling us. It's our human nature. It's a volatile nature, right? We need sexuality to have a marriage and children and a healthy life, a holistic life. But if it's misguided, then it becomes sin and it can destroy us. Right? So divorce is the end result of breaking an oath. This is how Jesus talks about it. Right? You're having problems. You don't reconcile your problems. And so you have more problems. Your problems never resolve and give you new problems. So you're having problems. But if you honor your oath and you reconcile, you go to counseling, do whatever you need to do, that's the way out of that cycle. Okay? And this is what Jesus says. You heard, give a certificate of divorce. Because that's what they were teaching, the Pharisees were teaching. That, that men should honor their women by giving a certificate of divorce. That was the honorable thing. Because in the Old Testament, they wouldn't even do that. They would divorce you without a certificate, and then that woman could not remarry. She could do nothing. She had to be a beggar or a prostitute. And so the, the, the just law was, give her a certificate of divorce so that way she could live a life post-marriage. That was the just thing. But then Jesus says, no, you've heard it say that, 
But I say to you, let your yes be yes and honor your oath. That's what Jesus said. Not reconciling or being faithful is the source. Uproot it when it's a little bomb. Every marriage has problems. Every marriage. Uproot it when they're little palms. Okay? Violence is the end result of revenge. Enemies are the end result of hating someone. You only have enemies because you hate them and you're caught in that cycle of sin. So if you love your enemies, it's easy to love your neighbors. It's easy to love cool people like Pastor Sammy. You know what I mean? How hard? Why would that be hard to love this guy? That's not hard. It's hard to love your enemies. And we think about our enemies as like the rude neighbor. That's not even your enemy. That's literally your neighbor. You know what I mean? How about the person that slanders you? How about we're going to a global scale? How about the terrorist? Did God create them? I think God's heart breaks when they sin. God doesn't talk about us versus them. He talks about lost and found. Right? So they're lost children of God. And if we did a better job at loving, maybe there wouldn't be terrorists. It's a big statement, but I think it's true. If the church did a better job of loving, there's over 2 billion Christians on earth. If we really love like Jesus, the world would be transformed. So sin traps you and snares you in your vicious cycles. If uh, some of the worship team want to come back up. These things are almost impossible to break because of our fleshly desires. We want them. Our flesh desires this sense of justice, right? This sense of, of, of fulfillment. We want to be fulfilled by having revenge, by, by, by lust, by anger. You get angry, you want to scream. That's cathartic, right? Jesus gives us real advice of how to break these cycles. You uproot them while they're babies, this leads to our redemption. The way we have power over these sins is by leaving them behind. Christ died. This is participative grace, right? Christ died for us to make a way. And the Spirit empowers us to do something about it here. It's like being a bullfighter. Or like, or like being, you're not a bullfighter, you're just you. But you're in a bullfighter's ring with a bull. All right? So if that happens, the bull will chase you. And you will run to not die, right? Like, and you'll just keep going until the bull catches you or something. But what Jesus is saying is leave the ring. The door is right there. Stop being chased around by this bull and walk out the door. This is our way out. You uproot it when it's a baby. We can't think about sin management. Let me just not do this sin. It never works. That's the same thing. It's the same tree analogy, okay? You cut off a branch. You cut off some plants, whatever. What happens? It grows right back if you don't uproot it. And a lot of times it grows back stronger, right? But if we take it out by the root, it's gone. This is what Jesus is telling us. Do you guys see that as a, as a source for empowerment? It's not these high ideals that we can't do. But Jesus is telling us, hey, this is how you can live as a child of God in this world. This is how you can be more than a conqueror in this world. You can defeat sin and death through Christ. Not on your own. Christ gives us the way out. The Spirit guides us. And then we have this clear teaching. Well, I guess it wasn't that clear. 
confused a lot of people. So let's do our part here. So Sammy, if you want to come, I'm going to pray real quick. Jesus is showing us a way to leave. Let's do our part. We're going to have a final song here, and, uh, and uh, Sammy's going to lead, lead towards the end. Let's pray real quick. Father in heaven, we praise and glorify your name. We just thank you for this day. And God, I pray that you just uh, like, let this, this, this word speak to us, Lord. Let your, your words in the sermon speak to us. Let it actually, as we talk about uprooting sin, let your words root in our hearts. Let them penetrate every aspect of us so we can know what to do, how to live like you, how to live in a way that glorifies you. So that way we can feel and be blessed by you and not oppressed by the sins that surround us. God, we love you and we thank you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.